Well, first of all, we want to welcome uh, Bishop Mark Engel and his wife, Terry, who are with us this morning. Obviously, if you didn't see any announcement, you'll know this is a little bit different of a service than we usually do. We're doing a confirmation with morning prayer today, um, and we'll be doing our dedication this afternoon at 2 o'clock. So, I'm glad that you're here. I chose to look at the World Mission Sunday texts today because... As we see, I think, they fit quite well with confirmation and with the fact that we're all called to be proclaimers of the gospel. Now, how many of you have ever gone running without eating first? And you usually eat. How does it work out? Usually not so good, at least for me. Believe it or not, I used to run cross-country. I think I've said that before. Yes, it is funny, but I did. Um, I wasn't very good even back then. Uh, But once in a while, I'd get to practice without eating first. And I'd start off, and I'd go okay around the first mile, and then all of a sudden I'd just drop off because I didn't have any energy. I didn't have any fuel to continue on with the journey. In a lot of ways, confirmation is analogous to that. What we're saying today in this service is not that Nathan Hanners, who's going to be confirmed, not that he doesn't have the Holy Spirit, and certainly not that he's not already part of the body of Christ, but what we're saying here is, Nate, as you go forward, go forward well-nourished in the power of of the Holy Spirit. And so there's two things that I see that come out of the text that tie to that today and uh, pair well with the rite of confirmation. And that is, number one, assurance, and number two, anointing. And you'll see that they go together as part of our salvation. Assurance and anointing. What do I mean? Let's look at assurance first. If you look at the epistle reading for today, or the second lesson, the first line from St. Paul to the Roman church is what? It's a forceful statement. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Period. Is there anything more assuring than that? Is there anything more assuring than St. Paul's statement that if we profess with our mouth that Jesus is our Lord and believe it in our hearts, then we will be saved. That is the assurance that all Christians should have as to being saved. I'm sure every every Christian is somewhat familiar with the statement. It's probably one of our banner texts. And we cling to it, of course, when we wrestle with doubts or face challenges that are thrown to us by the world, the flesh, and the devil, as they do surely come. But this assurance in Christ's work and in whose we are because of it is key theologically as well as psychologically, if you will, and helping us go through the world. Just like the Christians in Rome, we believe 
and fully trust in Jesus Christ. And St. Paul here is not just making that statement, but he's actually doing a turn of phrase. He's making a play on words here. If you look at the context of what's going on in Romans chapter 10, you'll see that the previous verse, verse 8, reads this way. The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith. Now you might be saying, well, wait a minute. What's he talking about? He's actually quoting Deuteronomy, I believe, in the Old Testament, where he's saying the word of God is near you. He's, you see what he's doing? He's using the word, word, in two different ways. He's talking about the word, the living word, Jesus Christ, and he's talking about the written word and the spoken word as well, right? And so here, what he's saying is that Jesus, of course, is the living word, and if you hear, if you have him, then you will profess the spoken word and believe fully in your hearts that he's Lord. As we say in the conclusion to the Eucharistic prayer, which we'll hear later today, by him, that is Jesus, with him, and in him, in the unity of the Holy Spirit. St. Paul is assuring the early church and the modern church, you and I, that they have been justified by Jesus Christ, the living word, when they speak and profess him as their Lord. Look at verses 11 and 13. St. Paul continues, For the scripture says, Everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. And then, Skipping down to 13. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now, part of the sacramental rite of confirmation is to confess Jesus Christ publicly and in a formal way before the church. Because we might sometimes wonder or ask, why do we go through this sacramental rite? Well, part of that is to profess and confess Jesus publicly as Lord. And while Nathan, our confirmand, has already professed Christ time and time again, here he will do so in the presence of the bishop and of the congregation gathered, thus renewing his baptismal vows and publicly demonstrating his faith and embracing a righteousness, a right-heartedness imputed to him by the Holy Spirit. Now that's some thick theological language. But what are we saying? We're saying essentially that those who that, can, that are believers are, as St. Paul says, clothed in Christ. His righteousness. You know why ministers wear the white up at the altar, both clergy and lay? It's to remind us that we're clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Not anything that we've done but His righteousness makes us acceptable. And so we're reminded in confirmation that every Christian present is reminded that it's not because of our good behavior, because of our extensive obedience, because of our moral goodness, or because of anything that we do that we're justified. And we need to hear that again and again and again. 
but it's not necessarily just something that comes out of the Reformation. It's also an ancient church thing, because that was the big drumbeat of Martin Luther, right? That its justification is, is not by works, but by faith alone. But we can trace it back even further to St. Chrysostom, who in homily 17 says this. He says, He that has Christ, even though he has not fulfilled the law aright, has received the whole. Let me say that again. This is St. Chrysostom, the, the golden-mouthed preacher, who says, He that has Christ, even though he has not fulfilled the law aright, has received the whole. And he continues, If you believe in Christ, then you have fulfilled the law and much more. If you believe in Christ, you've fulfilled the law and much more. So what, what he's saying is that the righteousness imputed to us, given to us by Jesus Christ that we wear, is already in excess of what God requires in the law. Thus the scriptures and the rite of confirmation first assure us and reassure us that Jesus has won our salvation and has given us justification to come before God. The second point is anointing. It would be wonderful enough if we only had the assurance of salvation by Jesus' righteousness. That by itself is huge, right? But there's even more. The scriptures also teach us today about the anointing of the Holy Spirit. We read, read of this anointing both of, to, given to Jesus Christ in the Old Testament Isaiah reading and poured out on the apostles in the Gospel lesson. Well, let's look at Isaiah first. This is the Isaiah chapter 61 reading, starting with verse 1. And there's not any good place to stop here, so I'm not going to read all of it, but you've already heard it once, but I'll start at least. The prophet Isaiah says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. We'll stop there for the moment. The prophet Isaiah here is speaking of whom? Who's he speaking of? The Messiah. The coming Messiah. The coming Messiah. How do we know that? Well, as good Anglicans, we interpret Scripture by Scripture. And so Scripture tells us. In fact, the living Word Himself tells us. Jesus tells us in Luke chapter 4, verse 21, after quoting this Isaiah passage, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Do you remember? We heard this story in the gospel, uh, I think it was two or three weeks ago, in the third Sunday of Epiphany, where Jesus comes back to his hometown of Nazareth. He opens the scroll. He reads Isaiah 61. And then he says, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. You see, the Holy Spirit has anointed Jesus to do all these things. In some mystical Trinitarian way, the Holy Spirit anoints Jesus to give good news to the poor, bind up the brokenhearted, proclaim liberty to the captives, and give sight to the blind 
course, we can go through Isaiah 61 and how Jesus fulfills all that. It's a sermon in itself, right? So we're not going to do that. But suffice it to say, do you see that Scripture interprets Scripture? And this is about the Messiah and about anointing. But then, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, passes this anointing in part on to His apostles. And we see that in the John lesson. Chapter 20, verses 21 through 23. Take a look at it with me. It's on page 3 of your scripture insert. John chapter 20, verses 21 through 23. Jesus said to them, Peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Here in John chapter 20, Jesus confers an anointing of the Holy Spirit as a preview to Pentecost. It's a preview to Pentecost. On the day of Pentecost in Acts, the Holy Spirit will be poured out upon all people. But here, Jesus is specifically pouring out graces upon the apostles to do certain things. Notice in verse 23, he's giving them part of his own authority, part of his own mantle, not equal to him, of course, but part of what his mission, his anointing has been for, to proclaim forgiveness and to act as agents of himself to forgive sins on his behalf and to experience and this is an ex- and expanded later on in the Great Commission, right before he ascends, to baptize, teach, and interpret Scripture. All of this and more is rolled up in the authority passed on to them. And we see the bishops, the apostles rather, from the beginning, pass this authority on to bishops like Timothy in Scripture, or Polycarp, or Linus, and others. Jesus confers on the apostles this Pentecostal anointing, this blessing, this pouring out of the Holy Spirit so that they can take the church to all nations and all peoples. Now, the anointing at confirmation is also an anointing. It's done with oil, But we ask the Holy Spirit to anoint Nathan today. It's more than just a profession of faith. It's a grace bestowed by our Lord through this rite, through our bishop. The bishop will pray, Defend, O Lord, your servant with your heavenly grace, that he may continue yours forever and daily increase in your Holy Spirit. Do you see there's both a preservation element to that, to defend him, and an increase of grace, that he might be fueled, that he might have the food for further ministry that he's called to. In short, this means that we're asking the confirmands and reminding ourselves that when we were confirmed, we were asking to be made more holy to be made more, even more, into the image of Jesus, knowing that our justification is secure, to ask the Holy Spirit to sanctify us more, 
Jesus is our perfection, but we have to strive with the aid of the Holy Spirit to make that righteousness our own. Now that might come as strange for some of you to hear and not sounding very Anglican or very Reformed, but it's actually true and it's part of our doctrine. And the very Reformed Bishop of Liverpool, J.C. Ryle, in the 19th century, writes this about it in his book, Holiness. The righteousness that we have by our justification is not our own, but the everlasting perfect righteousness of our great mediator Christ, imputed to us and made our own by faith. But he continues, the righteousness we have by sanctification is our own righteousness, imparted, inherent, and wrought in us by the Holy Spirit, mingled with much infirmity and imperfection. <laughs> you could say that again, right? As you look at yourself, mingled with much imperfection, at least I can. And yet, this second gift of sanctificatory grace is an important part of the total salvation package. Confirmation service is a type of ordination. It's asking for more grace to serve the church, to proclaim the gospel, and to act on behalf of Jesus as a layman, a full member of the one holy Catholic and apostolic church, so that the mission of the church can move forward and Christ can be proclaimed and God the Father glorified. To try to do this, to try, that is, to move the mission of the church forward and to proclaim Christ without the power of the Holy Spirit would be an utter disaster. To try it without the continual infusion of grace would be like running the race, not eating beforehand. And confirmation acknowledges that those being confirmed already have the Holy Spirit, but it also reminds us that we must always seek to grow more under his direction and rule. There's one more prayer that I want to highlight. It comes right before the laying on of hands, which we're about to see. It goes like this. The bishop will say, Almighty and ever-living God, we beseech you to strengthen your servant for witness and ministry through the power of your Holy Spirit. Daily increase in him your manifold virtues of grace. And then it lists those virtues. The spirit of wisdom and understanding. The spirit of counsel and might. The spirit of knowledge and true godliness and the spirit of holy fear. Those seven gifts are given by the Holy Spirit. We also read um, of them in, at Pentecost. Today the bishop will ask God to increase in Nathan each of those seven spiritual virtues of grace. Each one, not merely about making him righteous or more sanctified, but also required for ministry and mission. Nathan, today you're going to not merely be commissioned by the church. You're going to be given another phase in your ministry as you're rebuilt by the Holy Spirit. As the baptism service concludes, 
let none of us ever forget the cross of Christ crucified in whose name we've been baptized and anointed bravely to fight against the world, the flesh, and the devil and continue as a soldier and servant to the end of our days. Thanks be to God that his grace saves us. His grace justifies us. His grace sanctifies us. And the Holy Spirit, Spirit fits our souls, which need rebuilt, to reflect Jesus' righteousness and be proclaimers of his goodness and grace. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.